We want to welcome you to this next installment of our study in the book of Revelation. And tonight we're actually going to be starting in chapter number six. And I'm very excited about this because um, although I've really enjoyed the study up to this point, this is kind of where things start to take off. Um, this is where things start getting real exciting um, because it's not things that are having happening in heaven. These are things that are going to be happening here on the earth. And so we're going we're gonna to jump right into that because we've got a lot to cover and a short time to get there. And we're going to look and see that what's happening is this dramatic moment has arrived where, where the, the, the book has been placed in the Lamb's hand. And as Jesus Christ starts to break these seals, we're going to see that things start to happen. Now, notice he's not reading the, the scroll. He's not reading the book. He's just simply breaking the seals. And as he breaks the seals, it's as if the history and the, the activity is jumping off the pages and becoming reality for, um, uh, for John to see, for John to be able to witness. We're going to see these first four judgments. Um, they, they seem to be a description of the, almost of the same person, but we'll explain that a little bit more when we get there. It's not the same person, but representatives of the same person as we go through this. Uh, we're going to see the, the different things that take place. So let's go ahead and jump right into chapter number six, verse number one. It says, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and, and he went forth and conquering and to conquer. So we see this first horse, and what we're going to look at tonight is what is generally called the four horsemen of the apocalypse, or they go by other names, but it's these, these four horsemen that come on the scene. And like, like I was referencing to earlier before we started the broadcast, there's a lot that happens here, but there's not a lot that happens here at this point, and um, that we don't have a lot of information about what happens at this point. More so as we get further into the study later on down the road, we'll see more about these things. So the first one, um, there's a lot of controversy over who is this person that's on this horse. Um, I think it's, it's fairly obvious who's on this horse, but there are some that, that, that believe differently, that, differently than me. And, and I don't normally talk about all the different variations of, of opinions, but I thought it'd be valuable to uh, touch on this a little bit. There's a lot of people that, that believe that the rider of this first horse is, is Jesus Christ himself. Um, and a, either, either him or a representation of the, the proclamation of the gospel, the going forth of the gospel. Um, others argue that this can't be Christ because the Christ wouldn't be subject to the orders of the, the, um, um, the heavenly creatures, the beast in heaven, so that they believe that this isn't actually him, that it's just a, a representation of him. Uh, the second major view, the view that I, I ascribe to most likely, is that this is not Jesus Christ on this uh, horse. This is actually the Antichrist or a representative of the Antichrist that's upon this. And th there's a several reasons for this. One, we see that the Lamb is actually present in the throne room of God at this point in time. He's the one that's actually breaking the seals. Now, that's not to say that Jesus can't be in two places at one time. Obviously, he can because he's God, but there's some other things. First of all, we see that the Antichrist, by his very definition, is a deceiver. Uh, he appears as a Christ, but he is an Antichrist. He's not going to be somebody that is obviously uh, evil, obviously wicked. He's going to be somebody that the world is going to look to and think that they're looking to Christ, but he is actually the opposite of that. The, the crown that he wears 
is a, a crown that is is uh, given to him. It's not the the royal crown. It's a it's a conquering crown. And if this is the gospel going forth, we don't see the gospel going forth as a conquering type of thing, it, it, because the, there's nowhere in the Bible where Jesus came to conquer. Uh, the world wanted him to be a conqueror, but Jesus Christ didn't come to be a conqueror. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. So we see a, a difference, and we say, well, that, that's just a, a small difference, but that's actually a huge difference. If remember back to the, the that Passover Sunday when, when Jesus Christ was coming into, into um, or that Palm Sunday when Jesus Christ was coming into the city of Jerusalem, and, and they were hailing him as a conquering hero because that's what the world wanted. The world wanted a conquering hero. And when Jesus Christ was crucified, it even took his own disciples, uh, you know, kind of caught them off guard because they were kind of beside themselves because they wanted a conquering king. And Jesus Christ didn't come to conquer. He came to seek and to save. So even then there was some, um, uh, some confusion. The bow goes along with that. The bow is a weapon of war. Um, it is a, a, symbolizes conquest. Uh, symbolizes a military operation, and that's not the way that the gospel was to be spread, so it wouldn't be a representative of the gospel. The gospel is to be shared in love, not something that, that we take at the point of a sword, although we have had many, many false religions over the years, the most notable one being the Catholic Church that has gone in at the point of the spear and forced people to convert to Catholicism all across the Americas, all across uh, Central America, South America, through many of the islands, we've seen that. So this is more a, a man-made religion type of a, a thing and not a, a God thing. Um, uh, further, we would assume in, in, in reading this, there's a consistency between the four horsemen. In other words, one horseman le leads into the next horseman, leads into the next horseman. And it's very obvious that Jesus Christ is not part of the other three horsemen. Um, and we see that the, there is a, a correlation there or a consistency between them. Um, it also notice that, that he, that Jesus Christ or the, the person that's on there, um, already possesses his bow, but the crown has to be given to him. It says a crown is given to him. Jesus Christ never had to have a crown given to him because he never became king. He was always king of kings. He wasn't a created being that had to earn his kingship or had to be given his kingship. He has always been the king of kings. This rider of this horse has not always been a king. The crown was given to him. It doesn't say who the crown was given to him by, but by studying the rest of the book of Revelation, we know the Antichrist gets his powers and his authority from Satan. So this is a, a crown that's given to him. Um, probably the strongest argument is just that in the life of the Antichrist himself and his purpose here on earth is that he has come to where Jesus came to seek and to save. He's come to conquer. He's come to be the counterfeit. And coming on a white horse lends to that. Um, lends to that. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 and 10, we see a little bit of the description of the Antichrist. It says, and then shall the wicked be revealed, even him whose coming is after the workings of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. People are going to, are, 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 do not receive the, the love and truth of Christ um, people as a whole care less about his, his salvation and, and what Jesus Christ has to offer. And because of that rejection, it leaves them open to this deception. Um, and partially what we're looking at now is because of the rejection of that, we're seeing God's judgment beginning to be poured out here. Um, 
in Second uh, Thessalonians two eleven, it says, "And for this cause, God uh, shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie." So we're seeing a a that delusion take place. We're seeing that delusion beginning to take place today. I believe in our world, um, more so. If I could take a little sidebar for a moment, more so than ever, as I'm studying through the Book of Revelation this time, I'm seeing how these things are coming to pass. I'm seeing how things are coming into fruition or, or how easily they could come into fruition. I remember as a, as a kid, as a teenager studying the book of revelation with, with my pastor and, and it just seemed like it was just, it didn't seem like it was possible. And I'm, I'm not saying I doubted God by any means, but I just, in my imagination, I couldn't see how the world could get to this point. And now I'm seeing how easily our world can get to that point. And you'll see more of that. I think as we get more into the descriptions here, of these these other horsemen, how you'll start to see this, um, you know, it. What would cause? I used to think what would cause us to, to to turn the governments of the world over to one man? You know, how how can that possibly be? It just didn't seem like with all the wars and all the strife and all, how could we possibly turn that over? And then we see the United Nations and we see other men standing up and we start to see how how that there is a, a unifying in Europe and a unifying in, in some of the Asian countries. And we start to see these unifying and we start to see these things saying, you know what? I can see this. I can see how it's possible for one man to come. Um, Christ talked a little bit about this in Matthew 24, 15 um, saying that he says, for many shall come in my name saying I am Christ and shall deceive many. The world is already full of false messiahs and it's going to get worse as we get closer. And each one of these false messiahs, the only way that they can be a false messiah is people have to be following them. There has to be a following that takes place there. And we're already seeing that. We have people who claim to be Jesus Christ, and they have thousands following them. And, and it's just they, they've rejected the truth. So since they've rejected that truth that's in Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, then they're, they're given up to that delusion that he talks about in verse number 11 of Thessalonians chapter number 2. Um, next, uh, Jesus talks about Matthew 24. By the way, Matthew 24 is a, is a great study if you want to see what Jesus has to say about these times, about these end times. We're pulling out a few verses here. Matthew 24, 6 and 7, he says, And ye shall hear rumors of war, wars and rumors of war. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. It's hard, but I can't, I don't think you can point to a time in history where we haven't had nations rising up against nations, but more so now, with the exception possibly of the Second World War, do we have more nations in a conflict than we've ever had before? Um, it's almost like we've gotten used to it. Um, you know, how often do you think about the war that's taking place in the Middle East right now? We have, we have men and women that are over there fighting every day. It's not on the news. It's out of sight, out of mind but it's still going on. We're at war. I forget in how many countries right now, but we don't even, we don't even talk about it. Unless you've got somebody that in your family, that's, that's living there, a sign there, a station there. It's not even on our radar most days. And we've gotten so used to war and things taking place. Matthew 24, uh, the, in verse seven, the last part of verse seven says, and there shall be famine and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. This will be a world that, that's rocked with, with natural disasters. And we're seeing that today. We're seeing the, the earthquakes. We're seeing, I mean, North Carolina had an earthquake this week. And they're expecting another one to follow that up. They're saying it may be even bigger. When was the last time you saw an earthquake in, in North Carolina? I mean, when you think of earthquakes, what do you think? You think, you think Hawaii. You think uh, 
the, the Caribbean sometimes, you think California, uh, but I mean, North Carolina, uh, we've been getting earthquakes off our shore. I don't remember that as a kid, but we've had a couple of them. I, I have yet to feel one, by the way, but the news tells me they were happening out there. And, you know, I have no reason to doubt that. Um, but, you know, it's not something I ever remember happening when I was a kid. And I've lived here my entire life. But we're seeing those things now. Pestilence. You know, pestilence can be virus. Have we had any, any viruses that have come up that have, are different? No, of course not. We haven't had anything like that except maybe COVID and SARS and, and uh, the bird flu and, and, and 10 other ones that it seems like every, every couple of years we have another one. And these pestilences, every single time, it seems like they get worse and worse and worse. Then, you know, the Antichrist will also work through, through destroying our, our um, world through religion. Uh, Matthew 24, 9 and 10, it says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and kill you and shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And they shall be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. You know, this isn't just the, the atheists attacking the Christians. This is people that claim to be Christians attacking other Christians, one betraying another. And as we get closer and closer, uh, those of us that believe the Bible are going to be considered to be lunatics. We're going to be considered to be fringes, and we're going to be off to the side because the rest of the religious world is going to be you know, more like the world. And we're seeing a movement of that today. We're seeing things like the Catholic Church and, the, and Islam, where they're working together more and more, and they're, they're bonding together more and more. You know, you know, uh, 50 years ago, you wouldn't have thought that could ever happen. Uh, but now you have both sides speaking positively about each other and working together on things. And, you know, on paper, it looks good because it's like, wow, these two great, powerful entities working together. No, they're working together, but they're hating on the true Bible believers. And so it's, it's actually a force that's growing. And it's something that Jesus Christ told us about, you know, 2000 years ago that was going to be taking place. Matthew 24, 11, he says, many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive, you know, a, a world that, we're looking at a world that's full of false religions, um, false preachers, and these false religions and false preachers will prepare the way for the Antichrist. They, they lay the groundwork through uh, not teaching about hell and not teaching a, the truth about Jesus Christ, that, you know, Jesus Christ was all about uh, daisies and puppy dogs. And, you know, all, all it was was love, but they never teach on the wrath of God. They never teach on the accountability, the individual accountability of the person. Uh, they teach that salvation is through religion or doing good works as opposed to the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And as they teach these things, it, they're laying the groundwork for the Antichrist to come. Um, one, of the, one of those phrases that just really startles me every time I hear it is when somebody is talking about a loved one, and I'll talk to them about, are they saved? And I'll say, well, I don't know, but they go to church. I'll say, well, where do they go to church? Says, well, I don't know where they go to church, but as long as they're going to church somewhere, that's a good thing, right? And I'm like, no, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing because most churches in this world aren't teaching the gospel. They're teaching a social gospel. They're teaching that, you know, can't we all just get along? Aren't we all God's children? And, and they're teaching other falsehoods like that, but they're not teaching the truth of the Bible. They're definitely not teaching the book of Revelation. And so you know, we have to be very, very careful. And just because somebody says something that sounds religious or just because somebody looks like they're religious uh, doesn't doesn't make them a child of God, doesn't make them a, a, a spirit of light, doesn't make them a minister of light. Um, there are many out there that, that deceive, and some of them do it purposely for money and for wealth and for fame, and others do it um, just because that's what they've been taught. 
and they're just falling in lockstep with the people that taught them. And, and it's, it's, it's scary. There's scary stuff out there. And the more you look into religion, um, the more you, you see more of this stuff. I, I have people all the time last me, you know, do you watch this, this, uh, Christian channel, or do you listen to this Christian teacher? And, and, and I'll be honest with you, I'm very selective of, as to who I listen to and what I watch one, because I don't have a lot of time and I just don't have a lot of free time to, to do that. But two, you know, once I, I've, I've noticed that there's something sketchy or shady about a pastor, I don't want to be under his tutelage anymore. And so it, it gets more and more difficult to find good men and, and women to, to, uh, to be around and, and have invest, um, you know, teachings. So it just gets more and more difficult as time goes on. Uh, Matthew 24, 12, continuing on, it says, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. This is, this is today. Iniquity abounds. And love waxes cold. This, by the way, is, is specifically talking about the love for God, the love for Christ, but also the love for each other. As, as this world has gotten more, quote unquote, tolerant um, and accepting of different lifestyles and different sin, sin lifestyles and different sins in general, as we become more and more tolerant of that, we, have, we are much less loving than we ever were. Um, you see it just traveling around the country. You'll see the difference. You know, I, I we were in, um, I was born and raised in the South here in Florida over one County over. And I was raised around Southerners. And so I was raised with that Southern spirit, that Southern hospitality, which is just about completely gone now. And I didn't notice it was gone so much from this area until I started traveling to north of here, which is actually south of here when it comes to culture and traveling through some of the smaller towns through Alabama and, and through uh, Kentucky and all and, and interacting with people. And, and you start to see that the, that I don't want to say they don't have iniquity because we all have iniquity, but where it's not as rampant as it is here in central Florida, you get around those people and they love you and they love the fact that you're visiting and they, and they, they're, they're just so nice and so hospitable. And, and, you know, I don't want to make it bigger than it is, but we've lost a lot of that here. Why have we lost it? Because Central Florida has become rife with iniquity. We've allowed it into our schools. We've allowed it into our homes. We've allowed it into the, you know, the theme parks and, and every, everything around us has just gotten that way. And the major uh, metropolitan areas around the world, around this country, the same way. We have, we have embraced iniquity as a people. I'm not saying myself or you guys. I'm saying as a people, we've embraced iniquity. And the more we embrace that iniquity, just like Jesus said in Matthew 24, 12, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. We, in many cities, neighbors hate neighbors. There's not that love anymore. You get on Facebook and no matter what you post, people want to attack because there's just a, a, an underlying hatred in so many people. And the more that they get into the, the sinful behavior, the more that, that underlying, they, they may put a surface on that they're a surface of love and tolerance, but as soon as you scratch past that suffering, past that surface, you realize that it's just all intolerance. It's just all hatefulness. It's just all evilness. And Jesus Christ said this was going to come. Let's keep, let's move on. I spent way more time on that. I may not get through all these verses today. We're going to, we're going to get it. We're going to get it. I, I can feel it. I feel good about this. Verse number three, back in Revelation chapter number six, 
And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given unto him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. So we see the second one. The second seal is broken. There's a, a thundering appearance of a, of a red horse with a rider on it. And, you know, we don't have a lot of information about this rider. We have less about him than what we had about the first one. Uh, but we see that this is a like a continuation of that first rider. Uh, so if that first one was or was not the Antichrist, he was obviously in the spirit of the Antichrist. And this one is furthering that spirit. Um, you know, is it is it actually the Antichrist on each horse? Probably not. It's probably just... Um, it's probably images of of, diff, of some of his different qualities, or or some of his uh, those that follow him are on there. Uh, but we see this one. He is he is a a uh, writer who divides. He is a sword for dividing, and not not the way that Jesus's sword divides. Uh, but he is one that divides over race. He's the one that divides uh, classes. He's the one that divides countries, and he's the one that creates wars. Um, and and by the way when we see war in the Bible at this point in time, it's not just talking about nations fighting nations. We're at war in our country right now. And this is a picture of that war where we have different segments of our society that have been divided just as this person is going to do, or this horseman is going to do. He is going to divide people. And once you can, once you can convince somebody that they are different than another group of people, our natural tendency is to think we're better than that other group. And it's hard to fight. But if we can convince ourselves that for some reason we're different than if group A is different than group B, then we can convince group A and group B both that they're better. And once they think they're better, then in the back of our minds, you know, we have superiority over them, uh, whether it's through our message or through our power or however it is. And that's why division is so dangerous. Um, in our country, we see everybody is being divided. You're either divided by race or you're divided by money or you're divided by uh, schooling or work. I mean, there's always something there that divides us. Right now, we're being divided over masks. How, how foolish is that, that they're actually, you know, we're fighting over a mask or, you know, the wearing or not wearing. And, and then there's even smaller divisions where well, you're not wearing the right kind of mask or you're not wearing it in the appropriate way or you're not wearing, wearing it in the appropriate place. And instead of trying to come together and, and come to some type of a, of a, a uh, conclusion on this, we're not going to get through this is come up with some kind of conclusion with this. Instead of that, what we end up with is, is we end up with, with fighting with each other. Um, and for no reason, it just makes no sense. And it's everything. Um, everything is a division. Everything is a competition. And that's what this, this horseman does. Um, we don't know who this writer is. John doesn't really tell us who this writer is, uh, but he represents the, the lack of peace of the Antichrist. And, and, the, and the lack of peace that the Antichrist government will bring. The, he'll promise peace, but we see this horse is actually one that doesn't bring peace. Verse number five, and when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse, and he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny, and three measures of barley for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. So we see this next horseman, the third horseman appears again with the thundering and the beast announcing him, one of the beasts announcing him. And this is a picture of the Antichrist, this, his power over the economy and the distribution of food. 
um, again, today we're already seeing that where, where what seemed like an endless supply chain, and we, we very recently have seen how fragile the supply chain is here in the United States, one of the most modern countries in the world, and it doesn't take much at all to disrupt the entire supply chain. People could even get toilet paper for a period of time because the supply chain was, was damaged. Um, this writer has a, a set of scales um, to measure out the wheat. Now, that was, that's very symbolic of the time that John was living in. This is how they measured out wheat. And it said that you could get a, a measure of wheat for a, a penny, which is, would be about a quart in that day, what we would call a quart, or uh, uh, three measures of barley. Now, to convert that so you get a better understanding, because that sounds really cheap, but in that particular time, if you convert that, a penny was a day's wage. So they're working an entire day to buy a measure of wheat or a measure of barley. We're going to see famine coming upon the earth. One of the reasons why we're going to see that is people just can't even afford to buy food. This writer um, controls the distribution of the food. Um, it talks about some of the food being being saved and some of it not being saved. War will, you know, war will keep men from planting crops, and wheat and barley are crops. But what war doesn't necessarily do is it doesn't affect the trees right away. Trees and vines, which is where they get the olive and the wine, the trees and, and vines, they will go on for years without any care or upkeep. They'll continue to put out fruit. We had a, a, um, a grapefruit tree on the church property that was ripped out of the ground by the, the hurricane. And for several years after that, with the roots sticking up in the air, it continued to put out fruit. Now, wheat, if you go unseasoned without planting and, and, and you know, the wheat, it's gone. It just doesn't happen. But, but fruit trees and other trees will, will, will continue. Um, in this particular time, what this is more symbolic of is that particular time, things like um, olive oil and the wine, that was something that the regular person couldn't afford very much of, but the wealthy could. So we see that, that this food is going to be, there's going to be a, a gap between the wealthy and the not wealthy, where the not wealthy aren't going to be able to afford more than a day, you know, uh, it's going to take their entire day's wages to be able to afford some wheat, but the um, the wealthy will have their oils, the wealthy will will have their wine. So we're going to see a, a breaking down through classes there as well throughout this time. Um, the end time is going to be marked by famine. Um, we have famine in the world. We've always had famine in the world. It goes from place to place. Um, but this is going to be worldwide and it's going to be everything that a man can do just to be able to survive at this point. That's how little will be given out. And that's one of the reasons why we're going to be in servitude towards our government, because if the government is feeding us and without the government, we can't be fed, then it makes sense. Most people are going to do exactly what the government tells them, exactly what the Antichrist tells them, because a, a empty belly is a, is a great motivator for people. Verse number seven. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, come and see. And I looked and beheld, behold, a pale horse. And his name that was on him was death and hell followed with him and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with a sword and with hunger and with, and with death and with the beast of the earth. So we see this fourth horse when he comes on the pale horse. This of course represents death. Um, it represents the terrible devastation that the antichrist is one who people trusted to take care of them and supply them the actual devastation that he's going to bring upon the earth. We're going to, a fourth part of the earth um, is going to be destroyed, or the mankind will be destroyed off of a fourth part of the earth. 
Um, we see death sitting on the horse and right behind him is hell. So this place that, that is, is um, that torment, uh, the realm of the dead is what the picture of this is. It's, it's showing that death is, is coming and he's bringing hell with him. The writer is given power to cause unbelievable pain and suffering um, and will be personally responsible in four different ways for bringing about death. First part will be the sword. Um, many people will die because of the sword, some because of persecution, many because of, of, of war or genocide, um, deliberately setting policies and, and dividing people, like we said before, to where we, we convince one people group that they're superior to another people group, and we convince them, uh, we convince them of genocide. Um, we've seen this so many times in our history. It seems even that seems kind of far-fetched to us right now, but it's happened over and over and over again. And what we're seeing today in our world is we're seeing a grooming, um, a preparing. It's difficult to just to throw that light switch and get everybody in compliance. But through time and through grooming, we can slowly, more and more people will become um, willing to do whatever the Antichrist tells them to do. And we're seeing that grooming now. The Antichrist isn't on He's not on the scene. Let me put it that way. He may be in existence right now, but he's not active on the scene right now. Uh, he may very well be alive and on, on, on the earth, but he's not active in this respect right now. But, but what we're seeing around us is, is Satan's attempt to groom people for his coming. Because when the Antichrist comes, the world's ready for him. The world wants him when he gets here. The other way that people are going to be, be dying is through hunger and starvation. Um, what we mentioned before, there just isn't going to be enough food and the food that's there will be completely controlled by the antichrist and his government. Uh, pestilence will kill people, um, you know, through things like COVID and things that are even worse than COVID, uh, diseases that are, some diseases will be quote unquote natural. Other ones will be man-made, uh, germ warfare, things of that nature, uh, unsanitary conditions because of the war and the starvation, least unsanitary conditions that throughout history has wiped out massive amounts of people. Uh, and then wild beasts, as people become homeless and move more out into the wilderness and away from the cities, then wild beasts will be used to to um, hunt down people and be able to kill people. Uh, the picture of the four horsemen, uh, known as the four horsemen of, of the apocalypse, is, is not a pretty picture. But as terrible as it is, as terrible as these events around the four horsemen are, understand that they're not the worst judgments that are going to be poured out. It's going to get a lot worse than this. This is just the, the tip. This is just the, the, the beginning of the end, if you will. And when that end time actually comes and we, we get into the, the other judgments, we still have the, the, uh, the bold judgments and the, the, um, the other judgments to come. It's going to take, um, this is going to seem like nothing. This is just the, the step, that first step of that time. Um, it's going to get so much worse. Um, when the end is launched itself, we'll have the, the, after the seal judgments, we'll have the, the trumpet judgments and then we'll have the, the bowl judgments. And we're going to see that things are going to get much, much worse before they ever get better.